ever feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind wanting to start again do you ever feel this so paper thin like a house of cards one blow from caving in do you chance for you, cause there's a spark in you, you just gotta ignite the light, and let it shine, just on the night, like the 4th of July, cause baby you're a firework, come on show them Welcome to another edition of TBU Collected, and today this is Ed, and I am joined by this is Donovan, this is Stella, and today we are be going to be reviewing the classic Batgirl origin story, Batgirl Year One. And since I am definitely not the expert on Batgirl around the website, I've asked Stella to kind of lead it because she is our definitive. Batgirl and Barbara Gordon expert, so I am going to hand it over to Stella. <laughs> yeah, high praise, certainly. Uh, well, this is just a wonderful story, and really there's there's no introduction needed for it. I will give the rundown on the issues, and then we'll get going with the discussion questions. Batgirl Year One, written by Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon, penciled by Marcus Martin, inked by Alvaro Lopez, and colored by Javier Rodriguez. Part 1, Masquerade. The story opens in media race, with Barbara Gordon dressed as Batgirl, facing down the villain killer moth at a ball. Through narration, Barbara relates the Greek myth of the prophet Cassandra, who wore a mask to hide her shame from those who ridiculed and ignored her prophecies, even after they came true. The story then flashes back to days earlier, at the home she shares with her father, Gotham City Police Captain James Gordon. Barbara asks for permission to join the GCPD as a detective, but he adamantly forbids it, saying that one cop in the family is enough. Frustrated, Barbara applies for a job as an FBI field agent, but is similarly dismissed for her youth and stature. Seeing the traditional avenues of crime-fighting close to her, Barbara finds inspiration in the exploits of costume vigilantes, particularly the superheroine Black Canary, a member of the Justice League of America. Using information gleamed from her dad's office and the assistance of computer-hacking friends, Barbara breaks into the headquarters of the Justice League sister organization, the Justice Society of America, and leaves a note asking to meet with Black Canary so she can become her apprentice. Part 2. Future Tense Barbara arrives at the meeting point the next night, only to be confronted by the JSA member Wildcat instead. He tells her that he didn't forward Barbara's letter to Black Canary, but knows she wouldn't be interested, and advises Barbara to give up her aspirations. After Barbara leaves, Wildcat talks to Dr. Fate, who predicts triumph and tragedy in Barbara's future. Disheartened, Barbara falls into a slump for several days. Her father attempts to console her by inviting her to a masquerade ball for police officers and Gotham's elite. 
Barbara decides to use the opportunity to get back at her dad and shows up dressed in a modified Batman costume, poking fun at her dad's controversial dealing with the vigilante. But before she can make her presence known, the ball is interrupted by Killer Moth, who wants to kidnap Bruce Wayne. Captain Gordon intervenes, but is knocked unconscious. Barbara, in full costume, engages Killer Moth and lets Bruce Wayne escape, bringing the story to the point where it originally began. Wayne makes it to his car where he prepares to don the attire of his alter ego Batman and calls his sidekick Dick Grayson, a.k.a. Robin, for assistance. Barbara chases Killer Moth into a nearby forest, but he escapes via helicopter, leaving her to be confronted by Batman and Robin. Part 3. Afterglow Batman demands to know who she is and tells her she has no right to wear his symbol. Defiant, Barbara points out that nobody gave him the right to do what he does either. Their standoff is cut short as Killer Moth returns in his copter and opens fire with a machine gun, loudly taunting Batman, Robin, and Batgirl. The three scatter and Killer Moth is chased away by police helicopters. Barbara makes it home before her father and a young officer named Jason Bard swings by to check on her. She pretends to be ill and explains she didn't make the masquerade ball. The next morning, her father asks about last night, but she repeats the same lie. Captain Gordon appears to accept it, but leaves behind a newspaper featuring an obscured photograph of Batgirl and a scrap of costume left at the scene, leaving her to wonder if he suspects more. Nonetheless, she builds on the Batgirl persona and begins to foil crimes around Gotham. After investing in new equipment, Barbara decides to test her repelling rope by swinging off of a skyscraper, unaware that Batman and Robin are watching her scale the building. Meanwhile, a disgraced killer moth tries to convince a gangster named Tony Brezzi to hire him for protection, but Brezzi dismisses him for getting publicly beaten by a girl. Later, it is revealed that killer moth's true identity is that of bankrupt ex-millionaire Cameron Von Clear, who actually owes money to Brezzi. Part 4. Cave Dwellers Barbara leaps off the skyscraper and all goes well until her rope snaps mid-descent. Robin swoops in to catch her, admitting that Batman cut her rope with the Batarang since the rope she was using would have either sliced her hands off or dislocated her arms once it went taut. Still incensed, Barbara tries to attack him, but he knocks her out with sleeping gas. Barbara wakes up in the Batcave and is left with Robin, who gives her a tour of their operations. He takes her to a soundstage where she successfully runs through an elaborate combat simulation, complete with live gunfire. Barbara cites this as proof she is as capable as them, but when Batman asks her why she wants to do this, she is unable to give a clear answer, except that she simply can, and she believes Gotham needs all the help it can get. Still unimpressed, Batman has Robin knock her out once more with sleeping gas. Barbara wakes up in front of her house without her cowl on. She realizes this means that they know who she is, and frets that they might talk to her father. But later in the day, Barbara receives a package from Robin containing spare crime-fighting gear, including the correct rope for swinging off buildings, and a note assuring her that Batman will come along. Part 5. Moth to a Flame Rejected by Gotham's underworld and his own henchmen, Killer Moth finds an opportunity to salvage his reputation when he is approached by a pyromaniac named Garfield Lins. Looking for an outlet for his sadistic tendencies, Lins offers to help Killer Moth exact revenge on Batgirl and form a criminal partnership. Lins adopts the costume persona of Firefly, complete with a devastating flamethrower. The duo's first criminal act is to intimidate Tony Brezzi into hiring them. Part 6. Bird of Prey Tony Brezzi tries to get rid of Firefly and Killer Moth by staging an elaborate frame-up. He orders two of his own henchmen to kidnap Captain Gordon while wearing costumes similar to Killer Moth and Firefly, kill him in a secluded area, call the real Killer Moth and Firefly to the location, while simultaneously informing the police of their whereabouts, and thereby framing them for Gordon's murder. The doppelgangers succeed in abducting Gordon while killing one of his friends, wounding Officer Bard, and setting fire to an office building in the process. 
Barbara finds out about her father's abduction and arrives at the scene as Batgirl, where Jason tells her he heard the henchman mention Brezzy's greenhouse outside of Gotham. Barbara prepares to head there, but bumps into Black Canary, who is also investigating the crime. Canary, believing Batgirl to be an official associate of Batman, offers to tag along. The pair arrive at the greenhouse, and Brezzy's henchmen, still in costume, take Gordon and flee. On the way to the greenhouse, the real killer moth and firefly spot Black Canary and Batgirl chasing their doppelgangers. Brezzy's henchmen end up leading all four pursuers to Tony Brezzy's home, where the real killer moth and firefly ambush everyone. Part 7. Hearts of Fire Firefly deduces Brezzy's plans and brutally incinerates the doppelgangers, but also ignites a fuel tank, which causes an explosion. In the confusion, Barbara evacuates her father and the costumed villains escape the premises. Barbara leaves Black Canary to watch over Gordon, Brezzy, and deal with the cops, but has to return home on foot as her bet cycle has been destroyed. Gordon returns to police headquarters the same night and calls for a meeting with Batman, only to be met by Robin. Gordon asks if Batman is expanding the franchise, but Robin assures him that Batgirl has nothing to do with them. Exasperated, Gordon leaves, telling Robin that Batman needs to put a stop to Batgirl or he will do it himself. The next evening, Barbara visits Officer Bart in the hospital. Barbara thanks Jason for trying to save her dad, but he feels that he failed nonetheless and acknowledges that his injury means he will have to leave the force. Barbara assures him that he will be able to find work in other fields. Before the two can bond any longer, they are interrupted by her father, who also came to visit. Embarrassed, Barbara leaves and goes on patrol as Batgirl to clear her head. While dispatching a mugger, Barbara meets Robin, who presents her with a new bat cycle and invites her to join him on an emergency call. The pair ride their bikes in the Gotham subway network, where the emergency is taking place. Part 8. Seasoned Crime Fighter Batgirl and Robin arrive at a subway platform where they arrest an aspiring criminal named the Condiment King for harassing passers-by. Bemused and unimpressed, Barbara wonders how a harmless nuisance constitutes an emergency. But Robin tells her that he was just a detour. The real emergency is a hostage situation on one of the trains. As they talk, Robin shocks Barbara by planting a kiss on her. Without saying another word, the pair continues down the subway tunnels toward the runaway train. When they find the train, Robin informs Barbara that Blockbuster, a deformed behemoth of a man, is aboard, terrorizing the passengers. Inside, Barbara baits Blockbuster into fighting her, while Robin evacuates the passengers to another car. Barbara's fight with Blockbuster leads onto the roof of the train, where Blockbuster attempts to crush her head, but she is spared when a slab of overhanging concrete knocks him out. Robin and Batgirl truss up Blockbuster and steer the train towards the next station where the police are waiting. Robin tries to kiss Barbara again, but she pushes him away. When the train pulls into the station, Captain Gordon finds Blockbuster, but not the young crime fighters. But he does find a lock of Barbara's red hair in Blockbuster's hands, which causes him to rush home. Barbara changes back into her civilian clothes and bids goodbye to Robin. When she makes it back home, she is confronted by her father, who has been searching her room. Before either of them can say anything, he receives an emergency call and rushes out of the house. Barbara follows him and finds that GCPD headquarters has been set ablaze by Firefly and Killer Moth. Barbara decides to suit up as Batgirl once again. Part 9. Ashes and Blood Killer Moth and Firefly survey their handiwork from the roof of the very building they set alight and begin to make their escape via helicopter. Batgirl lassos a rope and tethers herself to the aircraft. Firefly sees her but orders his pilot to take off anyway and the helicopter flies through Gotham with Batgirl in tow. Batman and Robin arrive with their own aircraft but concede they don't have a way to ground the villains without killing them or Batgirl so they wait to see what she can do. 
While being dragged through the air, Barbara pulls off a risky maneuver which causes the helicopter to crash on a rooftop while she falls into a rooftop pool, narrowly avoiding death. An injured killer moth and firefly are apprehended by Batman and Robin while Barbara watches from a distance, chagrined that while she did all the work, they'll be getting all the credit. The story flashes forward a few days later. Barbara still hasn't spoken to her dad, but feels that her back row career is over no matter what. However, she is invited by Batman to the Batcave, where she runs through another obstacle course, but against simulations of his most dangerous enemies. Batman warns her that if she doesn't walk away from being back row right now, this will be her future from here on out. Steadfast, Barbara completes the challenge anyway. Batman leads her outside to the grave of Thomas and Martha Wayne, where he reveals his identity as Bruce Wayne, allowing Barbara to finally understand the reasons behind his mission. Barbara swears an oath of loyalty to Batman and his ideals, but asks a final favor in return. On the roof of Gotham headquarters, Batman arrives with Batgirl to meet Captain Gordon. Batman tells Gordon that he wishes to take Batgirl under his wing and asks for approval. Reluctant, Gordon says he'll allow it, but forbids Batman from taking on any more protégés. Immediately after Batman and Batgirl leave, Gordon exits through the stairwell and is surprised to be greeted by Barbara, who asks if he was expecting someone else. The Batgirl Batman brought along was actually Robin in disguise. The next day, Barbara helps Jason Bard move into an office where he plans to work as a private investigator. Jason asks Barbara about her own plans, and she reveals an interest in politics, but isn't really sure. The scene then switches to her dressed as Batgirl, confronting Scarecrow alongside Batman and Robin. Barbara narrates that while she could keep worrying about what her life could become, she'd rather focus on the now. Okay, well, my first discussion question is, how does this origin or year one hold up to other year ones that you may have read? I mean, I'm particularly thinking of uh, Robin year one, which we haven't really discussed yet. We've got Batman year one as well as year two and and all sorts of things. And, And then DC recently started branching off into other origins as well. So how does it hold up? Do you think it's stronger or do you think it's different than other ones? Well, I think I think it's good. I mean, I think it, after last year, it's really hard to top the zero issue origin. But um, oh <laughs> my gosh, like, what? Where's he going with that? Yeah, <laughs> switch that I was around. About to kick you off the call, son. <laughs> no, I think it's really good. I think it's very enjoyable. Um, obviously, uh, kind of going off from this and Robin Year One, they're kind of going off of Batman Year One, which was you know a very seminal work. And since then, I know that they've done DC at that point had done a lot of, a lot of other year ones like Metamorpho year one and Black Lightning year one. I think this is like the last good one because I didn't really like Nightwing year one. Um, but I think this is really good. I think this is uh, kind of long for a miniseries, but it works well with what it's doing. It succeeds in what it's doing. Um, and I mean, comparatively, I mean, I probably like Batman year one and Robin year one better, but that's not disparaging it at it by any means i mean i really really enjoy the story and um i think it's right up there with uh those two in terms of like the really classic origin stories that dc was putting out at the time i think that it's probably like one of the last really really excellent uh uh instances of that um you know for me i'm gonna have to say that this one is second only to me to to the batman year one um i like robin year one and i don't have anything against that and even stepping outside the Bat Universe, there's plenty of good origin stories in DC that I've enjoyed. Um, you know, Green Lantern's one I've always been, been fond of, especially the Kyle Rayner years. But this story to me was it, it came at a time where we were, we were looking back on the character, and I think that this put her in a a much different perspective after I read Batgirl Year One. Um, I mean, I'm not saying I never liked Batgirl leading into this, but this was the story that definitely made me kick off my 
my personal interest in Barbara Gordon as a character and, and following Batgirl more closely. So I think much like Batman Year One uh, by Miller really changed you know, the whole direction of, of that character for me when, when I was very young and read it. Um, reading Batgirl Year One changed my personal thoughts on the character quite a bit. And, and it was nine issues, like Don said. It is long for, for, for a miniseries, but when you read it, it doesn't feel like nine issues. And in fact, if you read it in trade, it seems like it may have been three or four because it, it paces so well. So, yeah, this is one of my favorite origin stories um, pre-New 52 and, and post-New 52 for whatever that's worth. <laughs> yeah, it's not worth anything. Um, this this is for me the origin story. Uh, this is my top favorite. I think it tops Batman Year One for me. The, the reason why it tops Batman Year One is that Batman Year One is not really Batman's origin story. Like it, it sort of goes into him, but it really is about Jim Gordon most of the time. And I feel like you don't get as good a glimpse uh, of Batman as you could have. I mean, it's an awesome story, but just in my in my opinion, it's Jim Gordon Year One. But I think that if you're going to have an origin story, it's going to be Batgirl Year One. It's it's just so awesome. I mean, it's going to be dripping with the love. It's going to be coming through your audio devices. But, <laughs> um, I mean, you just really get into the characters. The relationships are solid. You're interested in the villains. Um, and I think the weakest, even though the weakest issue, in my opinion, was probably the villain story, which is something that we're actually going to uh, discuss. Um I think that everything was really chosen well. All the pieces really worked well together. And you also got more of an idea of the Bat family as it started to become an actual family through this because Babs, I think, was sort of a catalyst of really opening everything up more so than Robin. Um, so I, I think that it's it's just a stronger origin. I read this. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I remember I like recently had uh, surgery on one of my feet. And, um Ooh. So I was completely laid up and, you know, looking for new things to do. And at this time, you know, I had seen Babs on Batman the Animated Series. And I'm like, hey, what's this about this uh, Batgirl year one? And I picked it up and read it start to finish in one sitting. And that was really just like Ed really started this love that I had for for Babs that has just like grown from it and I just fell in love with the character she was such a believable character for me so I for me this is I think the best origin story that that is out there well so you say but uh I suppose we'll get into why that is and maybe <laughs> yeah. we'll change some minds and maybe we'll uh prove you wrong who knows you will not prove me wrong um, but speaking, you know, of Babs, I, I said how, you know, I fell in love with her, and, and I think Ed also was attesting that fact. Let's talk about her characterization in here, and I think we as readers of the New 52, Donovan sort of has betrayed us all, and he stopped reading it. But, um, <laughs> you know, we talk about the weakness of that character that we see now, but in this particular book, what do you think about her character what is particularly striking for you do you think this is a strong or weak study of of babs gordon it's interesting because um again like you know because we we were reading uh or i was but we're reading (laughs) batgirl you know written by gail simone like like in the last couple of years there's been a lot it's kind of forced 
uh, speaking for myself, it's kind of forced me to really reevaluate how I've always seen the character. Because if I don't like this, then what have I liked? And not, you know, counting Oracle. Because, like, like in terms of Batgirl, what about her is endearing? Like, and I really, I thought, of, I thought about it a ton more than I ever probably should in the last couple of years of my life. So, and this story, I think, is a really uh, excellent sort of study guide for that. I think, I think Barbara in this story is defined by her her will just to like really I find it a very sort of like a metatextual thing like she really has to like kind of she says that she's like you know she can feel that they can, she can change destiny she can change her fate for herself and try to you know make a new future for herself and that has that has several different meanings considering the story like in essence is a flashback story because at the time she wasn't that girl anymore and it's sort of like you know is a past story if you know what I mean so like you kind of like kind of have to look at her from a, in a certain prism, and in this one I I really like the character. I think she can come off as very very uh, I don't want to say I don't want to say angsty because that's not the right word, but like very assertive, um, very emotional, and at times very just like flippant. But I think that like that's really earned through what she's going through because you know she has her dad like laughing at the idea of her being a cop she has everyone kind of like you know telling her no and every single uh thing she tries to do she, you know wildcat tells her no batman tells her no robin's like laughing at her and the whole story is basically her trying to be just as just trying just trying to ignore that as much as she can and try to really prove to them and herself her own existence trying to do what she wants to do and what she wants to do is help people she can't be a cop she'll do the go the, to go uh, try to be the next best thing and I think that for a character that really, really makes her worthwhile and really makes her engaging and interesting and really does make the Batgirl character on its own, you know, both as a franchise and as, you know, Barbara Gordon as a character, stand out all the more. Um, I, think it's, I think it's one of the best showings of the character for all time because it's hard to compare this, you know, it's hard to compare this to the original issues and have the original issues stand head and shoulders above that. And not, not, not to disrespect the original issues, but I thought that um, this really takes uh, all the goodwill that like the 60s and 70s and 80s did for her and really push it into the stratosphere. So I think that like this is probably like the best uh, – in my opinion, this is the best uh, Babs Gordon Batgirl story you'll ever read or that, that has been read or that has been uh, made up to this point in time. Not counting Gail Simone's current run, right? We we discussed in the special that we're not going to count that. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because I think that the one when you talk about Barbara's character in this book, there's one word that always kind of stands out for me. It's that she's likable, um, and I mean that in a good way. I mean, for me to be interested in a character and to really care about them, I, I think especially one who's on the heroic side of the things is they have to be likable. Um, I don't like to have heroes that I particularly hate or don't like his characters. Um, so she comes across as extremely likable. Um, you know, it, it's, it's tough to like, like Don said, when you're talking about an origin story, which was based from the sixties, which is basically what we had before this, you really don't think you can compare them because the eras are so different, you know, that, that they they really don't ha- have a comparison there for me. But, you know, for me, this, this is a character who you get a real sense. And I think it is because there is more page count here, which, which I quite like, but, you get a real understanding of the character here. This isn't um, a glossy 28 pages in and out, boom, 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 boom. You know, we get to see a full evolution of, you know, w- what she wants to do. That she becomes Batgirl on accident, essentially. Um, how far she's willing to take that. Um, you know, her reaching out to the Justice. Society. I mean, you get to see a real 
in-depth story here. And, it, and I think that if I could take anything away from, from how they did the characterization of this book is that when you're trying to tell a story that has, that has meaning and it has a place in an overall universe and in continuity that is, is as absolutely important as – well, any major character's origin story is, but especially as important as this one is because it's so good, take your time. Don't be afraid to, to put some extra pages in there and, and make the characters count because I think that that's really what we have here is a story that's that's good enough and long. I mean, there's nothing really to criticize about it, but it's just it's really well crafted and it and it and it brings the character to life where she seems fully realized, three dimensional character. And I just yeah, I think it's it's spot on. I'd also like to say just really quickly that I didn't like her origin in the '60s of. Uh... <laughs> donut hair wearing Leia looking Barbara Gordon showing up at a, at a costume party and I don't know what I, I felt that was like really corny personally I, I didn't think that really held up and I like the fact that like Dixon and Beatty in the story kept that in there but like they kind of give it a different spin and like the essence of it is still there but it's made a bit more believable and it kind of extrapolates into like this whole saga that um is kind of born from that original issue so i thought that like uh i like that they didn't necessarily retcon it but like they made it more easily easier to swallow but isn't that what's what i think a lot of great writers do when you when you're moving a story from the past and, and what could be considered kind of like a corny or cheesy era is like put the cool nod to it in there so if you were a die hard follower of, of the character before your one came out i think that's awesome that it's got like okay this is the kind of nod to her original origin i think those kind of tweaks are always super cool Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I think we also have to look at the the times that it was put in because that is, uh, I mean, the 60s is all about we've got these strong men and we either have these women that are <laughs> ne'er-do-wells like Catwoman or they're just females that more often than not get themselves into trouble. And so I think it's awesome that um, Dixon and Beatty stay close to that origin because they're really playing homage to or paying homage to the classic uh, that Carmine Infantino brought to us. But then they're really creating this strong female uh, archetype that I think other female characters are based off of. Um, And I think I argued that... It must have been in the Batgirl special that many, you know, the, the the guys were talking about Wonder Woman and Supergirl, like those are sort of derivatives of other heroes and maybe Wonder Woman's the only origin. But I feel like even more than likable, likable is the term that Ed used is that she's, for me, if Peter Parker <laughs> is the everyman of Marvel Universe, I think that Barbara Gordon is the every woman of the DC universe. And I think that there is no other female character that um, is easier to relate to and that has great characteristics. And this was really the reason why I attached myself so closely to her. I love the fact that she was underestimated in the beginning. And, you know, I sort of disagree with Donovan uh, just because he was saying that, you know, she was a little too heavy and, and... and how she was acting. Flippin', I think, is what, you know, uh, he said. Just that, that description. And definitely the circumstances called for because she was underestimated. But, you know, when you people look down on you or they look at you and think, well, that person can't do that. I mean, it's time to put up or shut up. And, uh, you know, I myself go through this. You know, I'm a small person. And uh, look at that huge log that I carried through the Tough Mudder course. Um, so <laughs> it, it's definitely like... You know, you look at this girl, she's younger because they brought her age down. She doesn't meet the height requirements. Her dad 
is really concerned about her and so doesn't want her to be a police officer and she she's just going to combat this and and she wants to do what she wants to do because she feels like it's in her to to help other people and so even though all these people are turning her down she keeps on going and uh, I just love it. I mean, I love being able to relate to a normal powered person rather than a super powered person. And Wonder Woman is great. I don't want to knock Wonder Woman. But I think that Babs is really the person that I could see myself being BFFs with. Um, and in this particular case, I, I love the characterization. You see, maybe she does act like a child in the beginning. I mean, she nearly cries when her uh, sensei, I guess he's not a sensei, but the guy at the dojo is, you know, about to. Well, he was that guy. I have a note about that guy about. later on. He's such a jerk, but there's, um, there's actually there's actually I have I actually have a, like a very interesting note about that character, but I'll, I'll mention it later on. Okay, um, but you know he's just like pulling her down, and and she's almost on the verge of tears, and then she just goes at him, and I think there is some growth, even though she does basically say the same age. She probably is more childish at the beginning, and then slowly, like you see this journey unfold within these nine issues. And the woman that she, you know, finally becomes, uh, I, I think, is just wonderful. So I think this this is like the characterization that we all want to see, and this is something that we would compare to, um, you know, when we were reading the stuff that we're not really enjoying, and we're thinking, well, this is a terrible characterization of her. She's weeping. She's drinking alcohol. She can't control her emotion. And so, like, we see this and we compare it to Batgirl Year One and we're wondering where the disconnect is. And, you know, if anyone's wondering, well, what what are we talking about with New 52 stuff and who this Batgirl is? Like, the real character that you need to know from Babs, I think, is in reading this particular story. Um, but that's my, my little... <laughs> My soapbox? I don't know. I'm going to go off, I guess. Uh, so my next one is, again, you know, something that we've seen different in the current um, storyline in Batgirl. And, and it's this father-daughter relationship that we have in this book. Uh, so what are your thoughts on it? And, you know, if you want to compare it to what we've seen now and perhaps also to actual issues that we've seen in the in the past as well. So... I, I don't think this is cheating, but I'm, more, I'm going to admit that um, before we start recording this, I was actually listening to the uh, interview that uh, Stella did on her show, Backgirl to Oracle, with Chuck Dixon and Scott Beatty, which was a few years ago. And um, she meant, they, she brought up the uh, relationship between Jim and Barbara. And um, they mentioned that like the, the, at the time, that wasn't really a focus in Birds of Prey or Batman comics. It kind, of, it kind of made me think that, like, in pre-crisis, from what all I've read, I'm not read nearly as much as you might hear on BTO, um, I think that like, that was a great showing their relationship by and large. And even, like, in some Detective Comics stories in the 80s, which I've, which I've read, they've had a strong relationship in post-crisis. I don't remember them – I don't remember the two having a lot of scenes together, to be honest, ironically speaking. So this was a great kind of, like – he, obviously, Gordon has to be there in a background origin story. It makes zero sense for him not to be. What I really appreciate is the fact that like he, we get the whole down-to-earth, relatable father-daughter relationship. But once Batgirl kind of comes into Gotham City, Gordon, you know, acts like a cop, and you know, he kind of has his reactions. And um, uh, I really love the fact that like he basically figures out like immediately. <laughs> um, uh, if he doesn't figure out, he basically has strong suspicions that Barbara is Batgirl. Yeah. Like, like from the word go, like like oh, you know, it's good to see that your window is still intact, and and um, you know, he see like he hears red hair, and he's like, you know, where were you? Like he's not, 
not for a moment that this is the idea too foreign in his mind. And I really like, I mean, even though he might uh, disapprove of it, because I think later on they, uh, in post they said that he figured out that she was Batgirl, but he didn't know she was Oracle or vice versa. I'm not exactly sure how that worked out. Um, I do like how it's at the end. Um, Batman goes from saying, uh, you know, I don't have anything to do with her to like, she's under my direct supervision. And Gordon's like, all right, look, uh, two hours set, but this is the last time. I really don't want to see this anymore. <laughs> so um, I think that like Gordon and his characterization is done very well here. And I like the fact that like he reacts to Barbara as Barbara changes throughout the story as a father would. Like, you know, she can't, as good of a crime fighter as she might be, she's not that good enough to hide from her detective fathers. I thought that worked well in both characters' favors. Yeah, I think this seems like um, a real father-daughter – I mean, it's real of, of a father-daughter relationship you can have when one of them is a, is a bat-dressed vigilante um, and one's the commissioner of Gotham City. But the story seems real, and, and the interaction between the two seems believable. Um, I like the fact that, that Gordon put it together. I've always found it disingenuous when you have a Gordon story where – he never put this stuff together. I mean, we're supposed to treat him as this great detective, but he's so idiotic he doesn't recognize his own daughter. I mean, it just – it always seems silly. So I quite like the way that they, the story handles it here, and especially the little deke at the end that Donovan was talking about where they have to go out of their way to prove that she isn't bad girl, even though, of course, she is. Um, but, you know, the, there's a lot of great moments in here. I mean, the horror of her of her father going through her room is something I'm, I'm sure we all had – you know, father, daughter, son, mother, whatever, growing up, where you realize your parents have gone through your room. You know, I mean, uh, those moments seem like like genuine uh, father daughter moments, and I don't. I think that the fact that she's Batgirl is only part of the the story. The whole story isn't about uh, just talking about the Gordon part of it. Isn't just about Jim figuring out it's Batgirl. I mean, it's dealing with what he wants his daughter to do with her life, and and being genuinely worried about her in, in a city that's, you know, a pretty screwed up place to live. To be totally honest. Um, so I, I think that this is this is a really good relationship. I think that you know if you compare it to what we have going on currently, or even you know before the new Fifty Two, that this is probably the best example of their relationship. And and for the longest time, I had trouble dealing with the new Fifty Two issue, uh, taking away any type of, of qualms you have about writing, liking it or not liking it, because I so to me in my mind, this is always the relationship that Jim and Barbara have, even when I see it. On paper, when it's not being portrayed like this, there's somewhere in the back of my mind that goes, oh, well, they're just having a fight, ha, 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 because that's not how they really feel about each other. You know, I mean, um, and it takes me a while mentally to accept that this relationship doesn't exist. Um, and it's sad, too, because I, I think that this is a super, you know, this is one of my favorite relationships in comics, or used to be um, one of my favorite relationships in comics. So, um, but no, I think overall it's, it's, it's extremely well done, and it, and it seems realistic, and I think that's that's the best part about it. Yeah, totally agree. This is also one of my favorite relationships in the comics, and um, I, I think it's one of the best that that is out there. And it, it's a travesty that it's not there now with the the new Fifty Two. Um, I don't understand why it's not. I mean, I thought it would be the most obvious. It's like Batman and Alfred. Like, why wouldn't you portray that? Yeah. yeah why, why would you break the band up? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, I don't. You know, I'm not sure. And, and it started off. Like, okay, what's going to happen? Because issue one, you know, she's still living at home, but then she leaves right away. She she decides to move out on her own. It's time for her to move on. 
And I guess that's just like, I guess it starts off in a bad place already. I mean, if she were living at home, think of how different the series would be because we wouldn't have Alicia. We wouldn't have all of this stuff going on. But um, I'm looking forward to see if Gordon finds out that uh, Babs is Batgirl in New 52 and how that's going to change the dynamics of the two characters and what's going to happen. And we discussed in, you know, the recent TBU, the fact that they locked eyes in that issue. They locked eyes. She turned around, she's ready to hit him, and, like, locked eyes. And how could you not recognize that that is your daughter if you're looking at her like that? So if they, if there's, like, some sort of cop-out, that'd be the worst thing in the world because just like Ed said... I mean, Jim Gordon ain't no fool. So he is going to know when something's going on. But, I mean, back to this story, I just think it's awesome. Um, You can tell there's obvious love, even when she gets frustrated and he says, no, Babs, you can't do this. Um, And just his his care and his concern for her. And I love that scene when uh, she wakes up and he's there checking the bars. And you may think it's heavy-handed, like, why are there bars on her window? But uh, I, I just think it's an awesome, an awesome relationship. And if they had more time, or if there was like a backer year or two, I think they could even go even more in depth in there. Because once he finds out her actual identity in the pre-crisis books, it's such a one. The relationship just gets better because he reveals to her, "Yeah, I've known for a long time." And for her, he's very much like a guidance and and a Jiminy Cricket for her because she has some tough times. She's been in some tough times now. She you know she loses her seat in Congress. Um, some other bad things happen to minor characters along the way, and she really gets down on herself. And he's the one to to tell her, you know, you're you're doing fine, and, and this is what the city needs, and and gives her advice and everything. So when she's down, she talks to him, and then he's able to really bring up her spirits and and get her to figure out what she needs to do. And that's really the re- the relationship, I think, and and what we want to see it and sadly that that doesn't exist here so um you know yeah i i hope that it gets back to normal on new 52 but um i think by this time it's a certain that it probably won't yeah dustin said you know there's just no he's gonna be livid like there's just gonna be issues because she killed whatchamacallit but he's not dead. Yeah, I know. But she killed James Jr. And then he shot her boyfriend. So, th- like, th- <laughs> Gil Simone's, like, putting all these wrenches in this car. It's not going to go. The jalopy's going to break down. But uh, I'm I'm hoping that it, it's not, you know, destroyed. And, and we've seen some, I, I remember Zero Year, not Zero Year, um, Issue Zero, we sort of see them together again. And we will see about... Uh, zero year if we get to see more of their interactions in new 52 but like i've said it's just i think it's the best relationship that's out there and it's it's sad not to see it again uh so speaking of you know jim gordon there are a a myriad of of other characters that pop up in here and of course they're all sort of tidbits of who babs is who she will become nods to the past in the comics and, of course, to the future. And so do you think that the story is faithful to uh, the characters that are present in Babs' life? Do you think maybe they they put too many characters in there? So I, just to name a few, I guess, to, to give some basis for people who haven't read this. You know, you have Jason Bard, who's just, I believe, a sergeant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you have Dinah, 
Dino Lance in there, aka Black Canary. You, you have, have the nerd from the library who's always there. <laughs> yeah, that guy. yeah, he's still he's still there. Um, you have Killer Moth, of course, Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. Who can forget Condiment Queen King? <laughs> I, love I love Condiment King. I do love yeah. that scene. <laughs> um, but I mean, do you think, especially like Jason Bard and everything, do you think these are the best characters to to introduce to start this off? I think that um, in the case of Killer Moth and Jason Bard, they were like more nod to the '60s than they really were like integral to the story. Because I mean, like you know, they're really not. In the, I think the only time they're in, the only reason they're in there is to sort of nod at the original stories, not, and not necessarily purport, purport um, further Batgirl's origin. I don't think you could. You necessarily Killer Moth was a nice shot because obviously he's in the first first appearance, but like right. I don't think that they were necessary. I don't think they hurt the story at all. I think I think that they're played well, but I think that like Jason Barr in particular is played about as well as he possibly could have in this story because I don't think I, I don't really think he he has to be in her origin story, but you know whatever it's it's a post crisis retelling, so like it's not damning the story to have him there, and I think that like for the, for what it was, it's interesting because you know we, we want this to like when you think of Batgirl. I think we discussed this on the special as well. It's hard to not think of Batman. This has to be Barbara's story, so you can't have every character just circle around her all all the time. I think that like the most important characters to Batgirl's origin probably would be Gordon and Batman and Robin. I think that the story kind of shows that. Dinah's in there for a you know for a couple of issues. Um, Firefly's in there here and there. Jason Bard's there here and there. But I think that like this story does well in balancing them while still making it Barbara's story. And I don't think that, like, um, I, I guess they sort of answered the question. I, th- I think they were used well and where it could have been easy to sort of overuse them. Yeah. Um, see, I, I think that the inclusion of these, I don't know if you want to call them minor characters, um, I think that they're almost necessary when you retell an origin story. Because think about it. I mean, think about how alienated we've all felt from time to time. And I'm just using the New 52 because it's right in front of us. So you can look back at <laughs> At the many crisis events, too, or the retelling of any origin story. I mean, what's a quick way to alienate any fan base or someone who's loved the character is to take things that people view as vital out of a story. And we all view certain things as, as vital out of our certain hero stories that some people think are different. For some people, some of these side characters we're talking about here may have been their favorite part of the back of us, you know? And I think to not include them would be would be unfair to people that have followed the character for a long time. Um I think that adding these 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 little characters in there, and I'm not trying to diminish them by calling them little characters, but but Dom is very right what he said. He, they're not focused on, but they're not supposed to be. This is Barbara's story, and and, and in some extent, Jim's story. Um, so I don't mind them not being focused on. But I think if they weren't included, even just some of the ones like the guy in the library, all the little stupid stuff, like. <laughs> panel here, panel there, but it makes you feel like you have a, a tangible connection between this story. And the earlier version of the story, like we talked about with the masquerade ball, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, this this kind of inclusion of 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 the Batgirl universe, right? Of of giving her her own world to play in, you know, it's it's not just oh she happens to be in Batman's world, you know, because we all you've seen Robin and Alfred and all that. So I think that these these characters really give this story a link to the past, and I think that if you're going to retell an origin, and this is a retelling of an origin, an extremely good retelling of an origin, but still a retelling of an origin, and you link it to the past like this, you're, you can get a, develop a whole new fan base and move the story along in the future without alienating people that have followed the story forever, and I wish that when anybody retells an origin, not just the new 52 stuff, 
they would read this and say, this is how you retell an origin without pissing off half the planet. Yeah. I also think that, like, especially in the very first issue, Barbara is very, very, like, on her own. And everywhere she, like, everywhere she goes, like, you know, her dad laughs at her and, like, you know, the cops or the, or the FBI guy says you don't meet the height requirement. Like, she's very – you feel like she's very closed in. She's very, like she's, – she's, she's riding solo. Sort of. I'm putting on my face to cover up my eyes. I'm jumping in my ride. I'm heading out tonight. I'm solo. I'm riding solo. I'm riding solo. I'm riding solo. Solo. I'm feeling like a star. You can't stop my shine. I'm bloody cloud nine. My head's in the sky. I'm solo. I'm riding solo. I'm riding solo. I'm riding solo. Solo. So like I think that like works. I think that works because you have to like kind of get the idea of who Barbara Gordon is as a character, and these characters sort of like exist. Sort of, they're sort of like sharks circling her, and not not necessarily sharks, I guess, but like sort of like that kind of metaphor in that like they close her in as much as as relative as she is towards her surroundings and you know her circumstances. And like you know once she becomes Batgirl, you know she gets Batman and Robin's attention that pisses him off, and you know then she gets the villains' attentions and then she gets like you know, the Justice League attentions, and so it's all relative towards. What Barbara's doing at that time, but it was always focused on Barbara Gordon. Yeah, and I think that it, it would be it would be bad to not include some. I'm like, like, could you imagine a, a now, especially since we have the story in front of us, like Batgirl's origin without Black Canary in it, at least once. I mean, it just wouldn't it wouldn't feel the same. That's all. I think you could do without without Dinah there, but like mm. I, it, it adds a bit to it. Because I, I don't I don't know if Dinah Lance is integral to the origin story of Batgirl necessarily, but it was, not, it was still fun there. It's not integral, but it makes the story that much more enjoyable. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Especially if you if you've been following Batgirl, say say you when you read Batgirl Year One, you've been following the character for 20 years. You know how much context she has with Dinah over the years. You would, I mean, just the inclusion of it just makes it feel like a more rounded Batgirl story. I mean, again, you could definitely do it without it, but I think it would lose something in translation. Maybe. Maybe it would sort of be like I don't know. You disagree with me? Well, it's it's like I don't know. It's it's like having like like Wally West and Dick Grayson's origin story kind of. You know, right. they have a relationship later on. That doesn't necessarily mean that they've always had a relationship. Again, I I don't mind it, but I don't I don't think it's it's necessarily integral to tell the story. Include Dinah Lance. Uh, I don't know. What do you what do you think, Stella? Well, I mean, that sort of gets to my next question. The thought of uh, there's just a lot of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do you think there's too much? I mean, it really, it not only, this, what's wonderful about this book, in my opinion, is that it, it pays tribute to the actual events of her past in comics, but it also points to her future. Um, but do you think it's too much? Because this, this really gets to what you're saying is, if we took Dinah out, would it be the same story? Um, if she didn't reference herself and, and talk about Cassandra and the Oracle, Bernie of Troy, etc., um, I mean, would that have had any impact? Do you think it's good to look forward to what she's going to become? Uh, me personally, I think that the story would change. If you're going to take out Dinah, you also need to take out all references to Oracle. Uh, they they mm-hmm. go hand in hand. Dinah is, uh, besides her father, uh, one of the most important relationships in Barbara Gordon's life, which is um, not really shown in Birds of Prey, but hopefully we're getting there. Um, Originally, they didn't even know each other, and it took several issues until 
Babs finally, when Babs with the hunt for Oracle, uh, finally revealed herself to Dinah, and then they were they were fast friends and, and really best friends forever. And and you can't break that relationship. And so I think it's great that there's an introduction to these two, and it's almost more comical than uh, action oriented because just like all this stuff that happens. And then at the very end, she's like, I will never call you for a team up ever again. Um, and, and I think it's a great way for Babs not only to have a role model to look up to. Wildcat said no. So, I mean, where else is she going to go? Then, you know, she finds this female person that she could potentially look up to, a strong female. And even then, she's sort of turned down for, you know, the right reasons. We, I mean, Batman does it all the time. But they end up getting in together and because Babs is so young I think Dinah is more put off than really seeing her as a potential friend but I think it's great to just put it out there and give a tease and look back at you know what was what was then and what we learn happens I mean it's like Donovan and I were enemies way back when (laughs) and then for some reason you know he came to San Diego and became fast friends so but uh, no it's just interesting to look back so if you were in the comic and you were dying you could think like you know remember that time we had that terrible first team up so you could take you could take it out if you wanted to and perhaps the story wouldn't change as much but i think fans of the barbara gordon character knowing what she's going to become i think it's great and i think it's also great for new readers to sort of latch on and like see oh well, what is this relationship? It seems like it's pointing to something more. And then maybe go on and read about Oracle. Well, yeah, because I think that, like, over – get your shot glasses out, people. Over on um, uh, Spider-Man Crawl Space, where Josh uh, moved to, uh, we, talk a lot <laughs> of, we talk a lot about the term continuity porn in that there's a lot of, like, you know, references to past stories, which people have, probably have not read, but the writer has read that. And, like – your enjoyment of that is relative to how many times you catch those nods. And I think that, like, things like Dinah saying, like, you know, we'll never do this again, and, like, winking at the camera, or mentions the phrase Oracle or the name Cassandra, that only, I mean, that only has a double meaning if you know about the future. Mm-hmm. If you, if you know, if, if you, like, you know, walk into this and completely fresh of the DC universe and just read this story, you're probably not going to get those references, and that doesn't necessarily halt the story. That doesn't make you question why that just you know those are just lines in the in the comic book and that's when i think it works best i mean i don't personally have a problem with it with the the references to the future i can see how it gets a bit excessive but it doesn't like the story's not trying to make you want to read those issues the story's trying to tell a story while still kind of you know tickle your funny bonus to, haha that, that that's a joke towards you know what happens later on you know i mean there are a couple of shots where like there's a couple of ominous shots of the joker but they don't really gleam on that that, that still has that still carries weight in in the moment in time uh at this time, the story is being present without knowledge of the killing joke. So, I don't. I can see how how I can see how Bertoni might not like that, but it's I too don't. Much, it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind it. <laughs> uh. I uh, you know, to be honest, I, I mean, I, I like them. Um, I mean, they're not. Uh, is there? A, there's a lot of them. There is, but. They're, they're never so much that if, if you had went into this, and I don't know how you could have, but if, if you had went into reading this and had no concept that the killing joke had ever happened or she'd become Oracle or friends with Dinah or anything like that, I don't think this would detract from the story. I mean they're, they're, they're obvious for sure if you, if you know the history of the character, but they don't take away from the story. I, I can't imagine reading it and, and, 
and thinking that they were were negative. I mean, in some of them are like they. I think they add to it as a reader who who knows what's going on a lot. I mean, that scene when and I think it's the issue nine, the very last issue where she's going through the um the bat training facility practice range again, for lack of a better term. And you see that very deliberate, you know, almost looks like it's right out of the killing joke, the same kind of, you know, with the gun pointed forward. Um, I mean, I think that that adds to the story because unfortunately, you know, Barbara's life is a bit of a tragedy. Um, she got shot. She got paralyzed. I mean, she was strong and, it, and it's a story of will, but there's no doubt about that. But there is a lot of tragedy in, in, in Barbara's story. And I think that if, if the writers had just ignored it, it would have not had as much impact. So, yeah, I like them. It's like what the Doctor Fate says early on. He's like, I, I see triumph and tragedy for everyone. And then Wildcat's like, well, what do you see for her? Triumph and tragedy. He's like, all right, all right. And also, and I, I made sure to make a note with this when I reread this. Um, there are uh, going back to sort of the Dragon Cat scene where like she's in the dojo beating up the, the the jerky master. There are a lot of nods to the Chuck Dixon run of Batman comics that like, if you've not read those comics, then you're just gonna fall over, gloss over your head. But like. In the universe at the time, there were cl- plenty of like sort of like inter-comic book uh, sort of themes and like like things you would find in Robin or Nightwing. Like uh, for example, that that martial arts guy, uh, Dragon Cat Parsons, <laughs> he he actually first appears in um, Tim Drake's Robin series uh, in issue twenty and twenty one. Tim's investigating like like a a school of like you know crooks who are posing as ninjas, and he goes to like this like you know dojo for kids where like that that guy Dragon Cat Parsons is recruiting kids to uh, kind of be crooks. That was kind of cool that he was brought into this one. Um, there's a uh, a television show called Crocky, like like the dinosaur or whatever. It's basically a, a Barney knockoff that you found all over, like in Birds of Prey and Nightwing and, and Robin. It was always on television. The same thing with um, w- w- there was a character like uh like the he was like a, a television show, like like a, a detective television show. I think that you find like like um Roy Raymond. That wasn't that was another like nod to like like a television show that you would find in those books by that, back then. J, uh, Devlin Davenport, she meets at the party. Like he's like a real kind of snarky business guy. He's he's shown a lot in, in um, Detective Comics. Um, Tony Bressy, like the, the gangster, he was in Nightfall. So there's a lot of like references towards the Bat comics, especially in the '90s, which kind of roll, roll off you know the, your shoulder if you've not read those. But if you know the universe, they really add a lot of context. Um, also, Dick's wearing Starman pajamas for some reason in, when he's eating cereal, but uh, that's that's more of a DC thing. Okay. Uh, moving on from regular characters, we sort of teased a little bit about them. And, you know, I, before we move on, I do have to say I love having Jason Bard in there. I think it's great that besides having Dick, and we will um, definitely be talking about that, you definitely have to have Jason Bard because that was really her first um, serious relationship. And, of course, I, I think it's just wonderful how they were able to pull in his limp uh, because in the Silver Age, he came back from Vietnam and he had that already. And and then he at the end, you've got the detective agency and that's what he was. You know, he was a detective. He even worked with Man Bat sometimes in the detective. So, I mean, <laughs> I just... Why are you laughing? He wor- they teamed up sometimes. I, I like the idea that Man Bat works on a detective agency. It's pretty cool. Well, I mean, no, he doesn't. <laughs> they just work together. He's right. Not, but... Um, but I just think, you know, I cannot say enough just how much uh, Dixon and Beatty, they, they take what has already been there, uh, but they and they, they, they show their love for it, but they also make it their own in, in a different way and, and really modernize it. And I think that's just the, the great way of, of storytelling. Uh, but the villains, the villains that were chosen, we've already talked about Killer Moth 
And, of course, we also have Firefly. Condiment King makes an appearance. Oh, yes. And uh, Blockbuster as well. I don't know if I miss. I don't think I'm missing anybody else. Um, so, what do you think about these particular? We already talked about Killer Moth. Like that is very appropriate. That was the first villain she ever fought. Uh, what do you think about the other ones? And uh, and what do you think particularly about issue five? Because it was a villain focused issue. And in my opinion, it it sort of threw things off a little bit because we're like Babs, 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 villain, Babs, and then you know you you um, you continue on the way. So it seemed not. As strong as the other ones, but but I'm interested to to hear what you have to say on on those. So villains chosen and that that issue number five. What do you think about it? Well, um, let's see. The villains chosen. The one that really stuck out to me, and the one that really made me that made me feel this is a modernization of like you know, Batgirl. Batgirl being a Silver Age character. Not not saying that she belongs in the Silver Age, but you know she was born in the Silver Age. The one villain that I thought was a really nice uh, kind of carryover, and he was in Robin Year One as well, was Blockbuster. Because Blockbuster, the Mark Desmond Blockbuster was like, I, I think when, when he first appeared, he was a very famous story where he just beat the crap out of Batman. Um, and it was also like during like the New Look era where Batman had the yellow oval and the art was different by um, Carmine Infantino. That was very, like, that was a very, that's a very period character. And having both Robin and Batgirl show up uh, and fight him in their respective stories, I thought really, really worked. That that really so. Whatever else they did, in terms of you know nods to the to the continuity of the past, like Killer Moth and Jason Barr, that to me was like my, my particular favorite uh, reference to that. Um, Firefly is a character that I've always liked from Batman's Rose Gallery. I was first introduced with him in the anime series, and you know he's he he's in he's in really a, a couple of really good issues in during Nightfall, which is my favorite Batman crossover. So I've always liked the character, and this one he's 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 flipping and crazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he has these like these wall eyes, which I love so much on characters. See the review of the Bad Hatter issues, and like uh, he uh, is just insane. And like I like, I really like what they did with him. Like he he loves seeing like you know he sees people dancing in fires, and again like this carries over into like some of Dixon's detective issues where he just he just lights things on fire to see it dance. I think that was really kind of cool, and I liked how Killer Moth, you know, is known as a joke, but Firefly is a legitimate like crazy Batman villain, mm-hmm. and having. Having Babs go up against, you know, a legitimate threat, I thought, really solidified her capabilities and made it work. Um, so I really like that. And Comic King, I just like the fact because I love that character from the animated series. And I like the fact that um, they keep on bringing him back in the comics for like a one-page guy before someone knocks him out. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, to me, not that I think they were poorly done. And I do like some of the villain moments in here. And I think Blockbuster is you know, to coin a, a Donovan Morgan Grant phrase, the most credible threat, you know, out of, out of all of them. But I don't think the villains are really that important here. I mean, the story is, it seems to me like we have villains in the story because we have to have villains in the story, you know, and these are the ones we get put in here. Um, I like killer moth a lot. Um, I think he's, I don't know why I've always kind of liked the guy. Um, but you know, the rest of them here are just, they seem like window dressing and filler pieces for me, but not in a bad way. I mean, I think that the worst thing we could have done was, you know, was have the story over nine issues deal with with these villains when, quite frankly, we have more important issues to deal with 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 her origin. With, mm-hmm. I would not want to lose any page count to from Jim Gordon or her relationship with Dick Grayson or Bruce Wayne or Alfred or with Diana Lane. I would not lose any of that page count because of villain stuff. Um, and Stella brings up issue number five, which is this kind of you know villain spectacular and 
I kind of like the way they did it. Being a nine-issue story arc, um, having it in five, which is, you know, cl- you know, right in the middle, I think that was a nice way to – because I mean, if you had to think, when you were originally reading the series, it was over nine months, you know? Um, most of us read it now uh, probably uh, with trade or, or had all the issues at once. I mean – but I think when you had the original experience of, of a nine-month story – um, I think that the break in the middle would have would have been okay, um, and I think if you look at it like that, it's it's doable. Um, could could issue five been redacted or removed and probably not hurt the story overall? Yeah, probably, but I think it's fine, and, and I think that that does give the villains a little deeper uh, deeper meaning in it. Um, and again, it's, it's not that I dislike the villains here or I dislike the portrayal here, but I just feel like they're not uh, they're not essential to the story. I do think that um, like briefly, just like issue five. Um, it's one of those instances where they, I'm not sure if they need to do that, but I thought they did it pretty well. Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly right. I mean, I don't think they had to do it, but if you had to do it, this was a good way to do it. I I love the choice of villains here. I especially, you know, Killer Moth, he, there's something very special about <laughs> Killer Moth. And um, I, I think that they they really give him a better portrayal than probably we have ever seen in... Uh, any of the comics that he's been in because he's always just this C-lister basically that is very easily taken down and it almost seems like a pity villain that, you know, writers gave to Bab so she could have her villain and, you know, she sort of has trouble with him but Batman and Robin easily dispatch him. But here I think you give him more depth and then you give him a partner and he's sort of someone that even in his crazy way uh, with the what was it little Doptera lad uh and his weird cars and stuff um you you've <laughs> got to respect him i think uh and and love him for his craziness i love condiment king i think that is just one of the the best scenes and it's really just a segue to get to blockbuster but um i mean he's just he's just like a kooky guy and I think it's fun to have a, a, just a little Easter egg like that. You know, anything more I think would be excessive with him. No, I would just say that the thing you just said there, but I don't know why, why this sparked it, but it was when, when Killer Moth goes back and we find out that his uh, secret hideout's been been taken by the IRS for not paying the taxes. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know why, but every time I read that, I laugh. I literally laugh when I'm like, this guy is so incompetent. He didn't even pay the taxes. You know I mean? I think um, also... I think Firefly, maybe I haven't read as much in mainstream comics of him, but he seems more psychotic than than uh, I've been used to. I guess Batman the Animated Series, he is kind of crazy as well, but this just seems like, I think especially the art really puts it spot on. Uh, I remember just a scene where you see like the eye and you see like this like woman on fire through like, yeah. his eye. It's just amazing. And I... I He's just – he's a creeper. So you've got this, like, killer moth who's trying to be an awesome villain but falls short. And then it's almost like, you know, Big Brother comes along and he tries to help him out a little bit and he's just crazy. And uh, Blockbuster, I think, is just great for the, the sheer um, – just for the way that he, he brings Batgirl and Robin together because I think that's a big thing. So – Oh, just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Uh, so next up, yeah, you know, good segues that I'm creating off the top of my head, but bringing Batgirl and Robin together, what do you think about uh, the Dick and Bab shipping in here? Uh, do you think they 
they probably didn't need it. Do you think it added to the story? Did you enjoy it? Any favorite scenes that you may have had? I, 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 I don't want to say it's necessary, but uh, it was necessary, yeah. Because obviously, like, you know, you, I, I didn't like in, in the Batman cartoon when, when Batgirl debuted before Robin because that was, like, sacrilege towards history, the whole story. So, like, I, I thought that, like, you know, having Robin in here not only was a no-brainer, but having Dick be so hormone-crazy over her. And Bat's basically rolling her eyes every time they, they got together. I thought was a very fun thing to do. I do, see, I do think that, like, Dick is kind of portrayed as a Bird Ward-esque kind of chump in this story. But I think that's necessi- necess- necessitated towards furthering Babs more than anything else. I don't think it's anything personal because obviously they did Robin Year One. They have, they they don't dislike the character, but I do think that like a lot of times he's kind of like gets the sword on the stick. It's not like Bat- Lego Batman bad, but it's something I've noticed. Um, True. And, and and in terms of like uh, their romance, um, again, like you know, Barbara is older than Dick, which I've always I've always enjoyed that aspect. She's at least like three or four years older than him, so like she kind of sees him as like a, a sort of more of a kid. But she just, I guess, there are instances where you can kind of see her kind of you know saying eh, it's not bad kind of thing. And then there's a famous moment where like uh, he basically steals a kiss in mid sentence, yep. which. Pretty pimp, but you know it, it didn't work out for him. So like, how pimp could it possibly be? Um, I like it. I mean, it's it's not overdone, but it's definitely like you know, it's sort of. I've talked about this a lot with Josh too. That like the idea of Dick and Babs as a couple is a very obvious idea. Is that it's almost too obvious, and there are times where it kind of be put as like you know this destiny fulfilling like you know greatest love ever, and those are times I kind of roll my eyes at. But when it's done well, it's done well. I, I liked it in Nightwing and Birds of Prey, and, and um, I like it here where it's 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 done believably. I mean, you can believe that they, these characters would be attracted to each other, and the way it's done here, where it's not done, it's not given the Hollywood ending where you know Dick is you know in the Batgirl costume and saying I thought she liked me, like I thought that was oh, <laughs> oh the <Yes>. feels. <laughs> I, I I thought it was very well handled here, and I I enjoyed seeing it. Um, Especially in in terms of like where the characters were in their lives, you know, Dick is still Robin, but he's older. Bowser's back, back girl at, at the end of her career. That's not how it is, for, you know, for the rest of their relationship in terms of knowing each other. So it's interesting to see them start off here like this, and and I and I enjoyed. It. I thought I thought it was very well done, especially in the um the Batcave issue where she gets to know him better, and like she still doesn't like you know love him, mm-hmm. but they kind of get to know each other. And um, that was my favorite issue. And I thought that like it was a great way to sort of like kind of break the ice between the two of them. I think that this would be a good found. This this does until recent events. This I mean, this does build a good foundation for them to have um, a relationship down the road. Uh, I mean, they're both younger in here, but I mean, it feels. I don't know, it feels grounded. It feels. It feels like if two teenagers were fighting crime together, this would probably be the eventual conclusion, right? I mean. I think it would almost be – I've heard a lot of people say you know, it was an easy relationship. Well, yeah. I mean let's face it. A lot of relationships that happen in real life happen because they're easy, because you worked with the person, because you went to school with them. I mean it, it seems more logical to me that they would uh, kind of start this relationship. Um, now, I know that it's here it's more um, flirting and, and more especially from Dixon than it is from, from Barbara's, but um, I like this – and I, and I like this relationship not just in this book, but I like this relationship you know, as it kind of progresses over time. Um, and I, I wish that we still had something closer to this. And I know there's, there's, there's some issues coming up where we're supposed to see some, but, um, I think it's handled very well. I, I do, I do like the fact that Batman 
leaves Dick and Barbara together. And I mean, as again, as we know, you know, we know he's not stupid and he has to know that this is going to go on. It's obvious that, that Robin is out and out flirting with Barbara right in front of uh, Bruce when he's there. Um, so when he leaves him alone, kind of, what did he think would happen? Uh, type deal. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> so, you know, uh, but I mean, I like it. I, I think it's fun. I think it adds to the, you know, Let's face it, if you're going to have a nine-issue story arc in a comic book, it's going to have some type of love interest in it, period. I mean, if you're going to have any, almost any story now, or even when this book was being published, there's going to be some type of love interest. And if you're going to if you're gonna put a love interest in, then make it something like this that not only makes sense continuity-wise, but it makes sense characterized. And, and, mm-hmm. and I, would, I would find it hard to believe anybody who has any history with these characters would read them and go, what are they doing flirting? That doesn't seem right, does it? I mean, you know, I mean yeah. – it, it seems like it, it would have to me. It would have seemed wouldn't have seemed way weirder if we'd had this book and they hadn't kind of had this little flirtation, Robin stealing the kiss. I mean, it, to me, it would have been more out of character if they hadn't than they had. So, um, I think that it's it been sterile if it didn't, if it wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it would it, it would have it would have rang through as hollow. It, it would have seemed like they were intentionally avoiding it. You know, right? Um, so no, I think it's I think it's great, and I wish uh, I wish that they, they still were having an ongoing relationship because it would make sense. Well, as of this point, is it like the Nightwing annual is coming out where like it's going to be the big Dick and Babs issue? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. We're not seeing that yet. I also really, really love. Not, 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 I keep on interrupting Stella, but not, I, I do love the scene where they first meet and um, Batman's like, you know, she's gone, but don't worry, <laughs> we'll see her again. I just knows it. And Robin's like, cool. <laughs> Batgirl's like, ugh. <laughs> like she, like you see him like smiling, and Babs is disgusted, and I, and I love like. When he goes, like, you know, oh, she's just a girl. And she, and she, has, like, she has this, like, you know, oh, oh, really? I'm just a girl, huh? And, like, just kind of trips him up. I, I really like that. Well, and I like the scene, too, when they're, when they're doing the motorcycle chase through the subways. Because mm-hmm. uh, doesn't that feel like if you were teenage superheroes, your flirt, that was how you would flirt? I mean, you wouldn't flirt across a soda in the local bowling alley. I mean, you would flirt by driving your motorcycles together and doing that. I mean, that would be the, how they would flirt. And I think that that's a very cool scene. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, I think it's very apparent that there is this age difference between them, which is why you know it's more one sided than than two sided. Um, and, and I think they they ended nicely with Babs, you know, sort of having some sort of future with Jason Bard, helping him set up. Uh, but I I think this is wonderful just how they start, and it starts off just as it did in the actual comics, you know, where. It was more of this rivalry than anything else, and and the fact that Batman trusted his right-hand man, but not really this female that popped up out of nowhere. And, you know, her calling him Pixie Boots throughout this series is just great. And I think that the the closest we've gotten to that sort of interaction has been the Batman, uh, which I guess would have been season four when uh, Robin popped up, but just Mm -hmm. this this chafing that you have these these two personalities that kind of go together but kind of don't maybe they're too alike that uh that's why they're <laughs> they repel each other but and then they start to just as the you know bad starts growing their relationship also starts growing and that's really the way that batman's too dark at this point so i think that that was the perfect medium to really send um a gift offering, a gift offering in the way of Robin that you know 
she could kind of find her way into the family, but it wasn't through Batman. It was through someone close to her age, but not exactly. And they have fun together. My favorite scene uh, between them is actually, with, I think it's just three panels, and it's all black, but you see, like, the oh. symbols, and you've got, you know, like, the Batgirl, and and, and um, I think it, it must have been pretty close after, well, it was on the subway, but, um, and then you, like, see her hand on his chest, and then she pushes him away when the lights go on. It's like this romantic, for like three panels, it's like very romantic, you only see their symbols, and then the lights come on, and she like pushes him away. But um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's not heavy, uh, but it's, it's cute, and you know, I think maybe you'll get the butterflies if you see, you know, when you see them first. Kiss, if only you know, if, if it was Robin, but I just think this is more of like a cute aspect of of the book rather than like this hot romantic thing, and and I don't think that there was really any place for heavy heavy romance in this particular book, but it does set something up for the future and gets you interested. Right, because she's supposed to be like like what nineteen in this ish, uh, sixteen to eighteen, younger than younger. younger she's not twenty five like she is in the pre exactly, story. Exactly, and like so, he's like he's like fourteen or fifteen. Yeah. And they really develop their partnership because they get to be really good partners and friends in the, you know, in the Bronze Age. So I think this is where it's leading. But it is sad to see him in that Robin, that Batgirl costume, and saying, "I thought she liked me." One, too much, too much. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> so my final uh, character question is about Batman. What do you think about his particular? particular that's a tough word to say people particular characterization his show of force which i well i will give my thoughts on that his disapproval of her and then ultimately (laughs) you know accepting her into the fold but generally how do you think he's portrayed in this story now i know you have problems with batman in this story i do i do Uh, because i'm a faithful listener from batgirl oracle i'm um checks in the mail i think (sighs) I think Chuck Dixon tend to, tend to write Batman as a darker and darker character as his writing career went on. Because if you look at like like Dixon's Batman writing history, I think just like especially in Batman Year One, he was just an out and out dick. I, I, um, I do think that like he might be a, a played a little bit rougher than I'm usually accustomed to seeing him in this t- day and age. At the same time, though, this is in the past where he, the Batman that I'm used to isn't actually. He's not He's not fully developed, if that makes any sense. I mean, this is still, like, you know, fairly early in, in everyone's careers. You know, like, I don't know, Batman year five-ish, I guess. So, like, I mean, I, it's, not, it's, not, it's not exactly fair to, to hold every single character in it, uh, up to the, you know, character chart in, the, in that way. I, I, I think that, like, um, it's actually in terms of, like, how he deals with Batgirl. I really don't have a problem with how he deals with Batgirl in this story. I truly don't. I really don't have a problem with like him saying you can't do this because, from his perspective, this this is legitimately like you know some random teenage girl running around cape that he has no um you know he has no knowledge of dodging gunfire and getting herself involved in life or death situations. I don't see I don't see it as out of line for Batman to like you know basically kidnap her and say okay what's your deal basically you know, kidnap her. Do you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth? <laughs> What I'm saying is that, like, if, in terms of, like, the character Batman, you're not, uh, not so much in general, but Batman as who he is, it doesn't seem, it, it doesn't seem as foreign to me 
that he would do what he ends up doing and basically sets her down and says, okay, how dedicated are you? This isn't a game, blah, 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 blah. And then by the end of the story, come to accept her. I will give you that, like, throwing her around in live gunfire is is questionable at the least and insane at the at worst. Uh, but, you know, and, like, you know, cutting her line was, was you know, kind of creepy. But there was reasons for it. Like, you know, he, he, he wanted to see what she – he wanted to see how into it she was. She didn't have the right equipment. And, like, you know, unmasking her and dumping her off, you know, on, on her front lawn. Um, again, like, you know, we, we, he has no idea what her deal is. I mean, he, he doesn't know that she's going to be Batgirl of the Batman and Robin and Batgirl team. So up to that point, I don't, I don't take it as – I don't take it as, you know – I guess the character, or really, I don't, I don't, I don't see it as very wrong. I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I have a bit of a problem with like the whole bullet thing. But besides that, I don't, I don't find this as you know. I, I don't see this as uh, making Batman not to be the bad guy in the story. He's just, he's just being himself. What do you think, Ed? I agree with Donovan. Oh, hey! I, I, I mean, listen. I mean, the the point that Donovan made, I think that, <laughs> that, 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 that sums up my thoughts is. I think we can't. He's not looking at it like we are. He has no idea who this chick is. I mean, yes, maybe he shouldn't have, you know, quote, you know, to, to use Donovan's own words, basically kidnapper, you know. <laughs> um, but I mean, I mean, I think it makes sense because in, in a lot of the ways he's protecting her in the story. I mean, remember the the, the 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 one of my coolest, my favorite scenes in the book is is when she jumps off the uh, for the first time and, and Batman and Robin are spying on her. And Batman cuts the rope, and then Robin saves her. And if they hadn't done that, she would have, you know, what do you say? Your arm would have got ripped out of its socket. Yeah, she, or, she didn't have a D cell line like like Batman and Robin do. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, as much as you can certainly see it being a little over the top, but isn't Batman over the top? Isn't that his character in a way? You know. Uh, so I mean, I like it. I mean, I, I think that if if he had just been like, oh, it's cool. There's some. Some redheaded chick wearing a bat in her chest, and I guess she's one of us now. I think that would have felt disingenuous. Plus, I think that by the end of the story, you get that moment where she's accepted into the family. And I think that if she hadn't had to kind of prove it to him, I think that moment would have lost some of its luster. If it was just – if it had been very easy for her to gain his trust, then I don't think the moment when he, when he takes off the cowl and welcomes her to the family would have had the same impact if he hadn't have been hard on her throughout it. So, um, I mean, could have been toned down a little bit? Yeah, probably. But overall, I actually like that part of the story. And now Stella is going to rip <laughs> on me and Donovan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is why we don't podcast together, you know? Too much. Too much. Um, you know, <laughs> that's like the Bertone line. Too much. Um. <sighs> You know, why does he have uh, any say in what she wants to do? How hypocritical. Now, that's the. Bit that- <laughs> Why are you laughing? Let me break it down for you folks. Batman is telling mm-hmm. some girl that she cannot play this hero game. And he could turn his head to the right, look down, and see a small child playing the hero game right next to him. I call that hypocrisy, people. Well, hypocrisy. You look hypocrisy up in the dictionary, and there's a little panel of this right here. You know, it's just a little too heavy, man. I mean, I understand the fear game. You scare people. You tell them don't do something. But I don't know why you would kidnap them, put them into a fighting gallery, uh, which basically is almost a training uh, – uh, what are those called? Simulation. 
And that's how you prove it to her. I think that is possibly the worst thing to do. They were not rubber bullets. They were real people. Secondly, why are you gassing that girl? And how did she wind up in her normal street clothing? <clears throat> Alfred exactly. did it. That's yeah, yeah, that's Leslie Tompkins did it. I, I mean, know. we can only help. I think I mean, you know, is the characterization on? Sure. I mean, I, I think that that's the way that he goes. But do I like it? No, not at all. I think it's too heavy of force. Um, even in, like, if we're referencing the Silver Ages, even, like, gone beyond that, because he said, you know, it's just, this is a man's world. It's a man's world! You know that song? Um, but it's nothing <laughs> without woman or a girl. Oh, boy. But I, I think it's too much. And... But ultimately, you know, Ed, you're right that it all of this negativity starts to add up. And, and then finally we get to this turnaround and we've got this wonderful scene in the end with, with the pledge and anything, everything. But even he seems to be second-guessing himself. So, you know, we've got some hypocrisy. And I think also he's sort of doubling back, doubling back on what he's saying anyways, the fact that he's sending Robin out to make, to quote, make sure she doesn't get hurt. Uh, end quote. And well, you know, I mean, giving her all these support. Why are you doing that? You're you're aiding. It's like telling someone you probably shouldn't be doing drugs, but here's some heroin. I mean, what? That's, that's not true at all. <laughs> that's that's true. I'll let I'll let you finish, and then I'll, and then I'll uh, I'll. Uh, well, I don't understand how that's not true. He he gives her the motorbike. She gets all of these supplies and everything. I mean, Robin puts his name his stamp on it, but it was really Batman that it was supplying. Just using the little bird as a little go-between. Good cop. Okay, well he's here. using he's using Robin as a street dealer for his heroin. Exactly. <laughs> Love it. Well, he did that in the golden age. Like he would always have like Dick dress up as a as a newspaper boy to get information. Okay, well, first of all, uh, comparing to, to comparing Batgirl, Batgirl in this instance, basically a girl in the costume running around trying to be a superhero, to uh, 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 first of all, a world-class athlete that he adopted and has trained every day in his own supervision with on on a nightly basis. I think it's two different scenarios. He's not, it's not like he just you know t- picked off Dick off the street. He knows what Dick's capable of. And like you know, going back to the same continuity in Robin Year One, he fired Dick when he when Dick disobeyed him when got his ass kicked. Like there's 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 precedence towards him knowing what Dick can do, whereas he has no idea. He doesn't even, at this point, at least uh, in the issue when he's talking to her, he doesn't know who she is. So I think that like the comparison doesn't exactly match because Robin is he knows Robin is trained and he has no he has, for all he can guess Batgirl is not I mean she kind of proved it when she had the wrong rope to swing on so that kind of gives him it, it gives him information as to what he he thinks she thinks she's dealing with so Robin he was fighting some perps on the trapeze as he was swinging is that what you're saying. He was no, but, fighting people, he was fighting bad guys all the while, is that what you're saying? Well, he, he, he does now. At this point in Dick's life, he is. But I mean, he, he did at the beginning. Well, he took him in because he knew that, like, oh, and also, like, he doesn't know, like, okay, uh, and I, I'll get to this a little bit later on, but the scene where he says, why are you doing this? And she stutters, and she says, I thought so. He, Batman takes this very seriously, in the sense that, like, he, he, it's not so much, oh, I want to fight crime. It's that I need, something to, I need something to propel me to do this for the rest of my life. And as far as he – because this is his first impression of Barbara Gordon, or Batgirl, really. It's Batgirl because he doesn't know it's Barbara Gordon. He doesn't see what makes – what drives her. And, you know, it's what makes Barbara Gordon different is that, like, the only thing that drives her is her will to make a difference. 
And Batman does it. Batman has a world make a difference. But that's born out of a, a, a need for justice, a need for vengeance that comes from a very dark place that Barbara doesn't have. It's that difference which which has him, like you know, shut the door on her at, at first. And that's what I think makes it justifiable in his actions towards her. And then later on, like you know, he gives her equipment and tests tests her out. That's because they both he and Dick know that she won't stop, and so they need to test her out and like supervise her without her knowledge of it, without her cognizance of it, to make sure that she won't get herself killed and make sure that she really has what it takes to be. In the crime fighting game. See, I mean, and here's the thing too: like, she's wearing a bat on her chest, right? Like, I, I the local police department doesn't care what I do unless I start walking around with one of their shields on. You know, I mean, she 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 portrays herself as a member of, of the Bat family. Even even Diana mistakes her. Goes well, yeah. How are you going to call your boss, Batman? Um, so I can see where he's got a vested interest in making sure that she straightens up and flies right. Oh, haha! What? She's, is she mad at us? Well, no, well, I just don't know what to say. You know, when when family, when friends have gone astray, how can you lead them back from the dark side? You know. Well, what, no, let me throw this at you in all semi seriousness. Um, how would you want him to have handled it? Like, just yeah, been like high five him, like way to go, girl. Go get him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> than, like in the sixties where he says, "No, oh, you can't do it because you're a girl, not because you're a dream, but because you're a girl." It's, uh, I would take that this over that. Oh, sure. I think. You know, I think he he's going to tell her one way or another that she shouldn't be doing it. But it's obvious that he was watching her before she jumped off that building. To wait until the moment that she jumped off the building and used extreme force and to prove his point is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> to kidnap her, bring her into a shooting gallery with real bullets to make his point is the worst thing in the world. I mean, I think you're going to have a straight-up conversation with her and say, hey, this is the deal. And if it continues, you're going to be more heavy-handed. Um, you know, I really like the – I don't know if you guys are watching Arrow, but I like the way that Arrow did it with Roy. Roy just kept going out there, and he's wanting to be like this vigilante. And but he's oh, Was he speeding on that show already? Uh, no, he's just Roy. And um, But Arrow says, you know, you need to stop. You're going to get yourself hurt or somebody else. And Roy explains, well, I want to help. And so um, – You've got Oliver telling him, well, this is how you can help. I need information. So, I mean, just giving her, like, a little glimpse and then taking her under the wing. I mean, Batman's going to tell anyone, you, you shouldn't be doing this. That's, he, he tells that to every, basically, new person that comes on the, off of the street. But I, I think this was just a terrible way to go about it. Oh, well, if, if we want to, we can compare it to, like, all the other iterations where Batgirl was in uh, – Batgirl comes up and he deals with it. Because in Batman and Robin – he basically says, we should probably do something about this, but, you know, Freeze is destroying the city, so we shouldn't. In the animated series, um, he's too busy putting his pants on to say anything about it. And I, I know he says, you know, you, he says, you know, it takes more than a costume and an ad to do this job. But I think at that time, like, he, that's pretty much all he does. And like, then he says, okay, fine, she can, she can come in or whatever. Um, and then, uh, I guess, the, the, how, does he, how does he react on the 60s show? Hey, Batgirl, you're awesome and purple, hot. Yeah, well, I mean, basically it says, who is this mysterious creature? I mean, it's creature. very amicable. <laughs> it's very amicable. I think it's just the, the biggest thing is, like, that he's – he wants to make sure she ta- – Donovan kind of – I mean, she doesn't have a good reason for what she's doing. Isn't that kind of the whole crux of it is why are you doing this? But she kind of goes, I don't know. I think that's the thing that kind of – I don't want to say it pisses him off, but – 
he kind of writes it off. That's, that's, the, that's the crux of it, yes. Yeah, it's it's yeah. not so much that, like what she's doing, it's just why she's doing. And, the, and again, like going back to Dick Grayson, the reason why he allows Dick to do what he's doing because he sees Dick has not as strong, but he has that drive in him, you know, that, that pain of loss to where that, that drives him. Barbara's different because she doesn't have that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that's, you know, that's, that makes her lesser than Batman and Robin. But the fact of the matter is, he knows, he can see in her eyes she doesn't have that. And that that makes him want to forbid her from doing that. And like that's why he takes such strong steps to, you know, make sure she doesn't want to do it again. He, yes, it's crazy. But, you know, he is ultimately... I'll go far to say so he's ultimately trying to save her life if she doesn't have what it takes to do this. Now, granted, she does, and the rest of the story illustrates that. But in this, in this, in this instance, I don't, have, I don't have a problem with it. I'm sorry. Don't, don't unfriend me on Facebook for saying I don't have a problem with it. I really, I really am. I'm sorry, but I just, I, 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 I buy it. I buy the logic in the in the comic book. So we're going to have to move on before all of our friendships are torn and tattered. I was just reading about celebrity uh, sibling feuds because apparently the Jonas Brothers are they're having some issues. But um, oh. so hopefully we That's don't make bad. it on to people's top ten lists, the TBU feud that was or never was. Nothing to love it. Imagine the website traffic we'd get. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, so my fi- final uh, discussion point is just: what is your favorite moment of the of the entire story? If you could pick, I, I mean, this is terribly hard, and I think we can't go on without you know we we've said Dixon and Beatty over and over again, but Marcos Martin yes. uh, did a wonderful job with the art, and um, you know we we see him all over the place, but I just think everything that he does really just captures the the characters, and there are some wonderful moments. Like I said, those blacked out panels, you're only seeing uh, those those uh, symbols that really represent the two people, and you look into Garfield's eye, and you you see this dancing flame woman, like just wonderful images like that. And he really helped to bring that alive. So it could be art. If uh, you want to talk about art, or if if you just have a particular panel that is your absolute favorite, um, there's some shots of Barbara that I really like because again, like because Mar- Marcos Martinez is, is a master at storytelling. He doesn't this, <laughs> this isn't boobs Gordon where Ed Bennis is drawing her like you know oh, just boy. ultimately voluptuous. I mean, she looks like a normal girl. She she actually looks like you still <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like 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 small but like really athletic and like. When, especially in the in the opening fight sequence in the in the masquerade ball when she's like backflipping and stuff, and she's kind of like um, doing action scenes where she can normally that w- that would be an excuse to have the artist sexualize the character, but Barbara looks just looks she looks gym, she looks like a gymnast she looks athletic without you know drawing attention towards her anatomy and I I really appreciate that I I really do. And but also like there are shots where like she's kind of walking towards Gordon before Killer Moth busts in, where she looks she looks attractive she looks pretty, and um again again like the moment where Robin says she's just a girl, and she has this she, she has this like you know you mother kind of look on her face I I really really enjoy that and also um my favorite scene honestly is when Batman says why and there's this big angry close up on his face and then he says I thought so this isn't a, a game, and then she says I'll tell you why because I can. That image of her, like, like with such determination, really sells the book for me, and that's that's my favorite panel. That's my favorite moment in the, in the book. It's difficult on a book that I that is one is this long, and and, and two that I enjoy this much to pick out a favorite. And unfortunately, I'm going to go to the probably 
I'm assuming the, the most commonly favorited part of this book, which is the ending. Um, because I feel like it, the ending of this book really is is what you're looking what you're looking for in the book. I think a lot of times the the final couple of panels of, of a lot of stories can be anticlimactic because that there's a big fight scene or there's a big whatever that kind of steals the show. Um, but to me, the ending of this of, of this book, the whole you know her being welcomed to the family and taking the oath and all that that's that's kind of what we were doing. I mean, the, the whole point in a, in a year one or in any type of origin book, right, is to give the origin of the character. How does Barbara Gordon go from being Barbara Gordon, who we don't know, to Batgirl, who we know. And I think that that's what these, this this book really does. Is it's it shows the transition from Barbara being a little bit of a bratty teenager at the end to her growing up and becoming part of the Bat family. So, I mean, I don't know. For me, that's 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 why the book's amazing because we get to see the whole story in one in one form. And that's my favorite part of the book is is this is it. This is this is the the quote unquote modern members of the Bat family as we know them. And, that's the best part of the book. Yeah, I'm going to definitely agree there. Just the the I promise loyalty, I promise secrecy, and I promise courage. And just seeing her with that, it like very minimalist. Again, you just really see the yellow cape of Robin. You see the red hair to denote who these people are, and they're they're standing in front of the grave and, and just full of symbolism and full of heart. And and I think it's just. That is it, you know, that is that is why. But there are so many other moments, you know. Oh, it's just such a wonderful book. Why don't they make an animated movie of this? It'd be really good. Oh, I know. <laughs> I've but tried and I've tried. Yeah, it still had this petition going on for a, a I know I can't even on. the authors knew about it. I can't believe that, like... I don't know. It's just, it seems like it's, if they pump out some of these animated movies that I'm like, oh, great, that, you know? Do I you mean, think that, like, things like like issue five would, would stay intact, or do you think they would have to slim some stuff down? Because, again, this is, I think this is, you know, a great story, but I do think this is surprisingly lengthy for a miniseries. Yeah, I think they would definitely have to slim down. I think they would take elements from that, but they would not include all of that backstory stuff. I bet we'd only get Killer Moth. I bet we'd cut out the other secondary type of uh, villains. I in bet it. You, to make it PG thirteen, they would probably keep in Firefly because he's like the most lethal of the of the elements in here. I, I would imagine. Yeah, he's definitely the most lethal. Um, but yeah, I think they would have to slim down the story a little bit to accomplish it. But I mean, the story is so well wrote that I think that it would lend it. And, and it feels, and to me, not all comics feel like this. Uh, this one feels like um, like a movie almost. It, it feels it feels more epic than a lot of the. Or, I mean, origin stories should feel epic and they should be sweeping and they should be kind of have a lot of hoorah moments and then this one does and i think that so many origin stories feel like a guy with it with a pen going okay this is what thing bad thing happened to him and this is where he got his costume and yeah and and i and i feel like that this actually feels like a story that that serves as a great origin but just happens to be an origin story that's just a good story a good story first with an origin in it I absolutely agree. And also, you know, it takes place over a year. I'm not sure if they they kind of date it like they usually do for Batman Year One, but like it's earned because the, like I like this story takes place over a long period of time, not just you know a week like your average movie does. Well, yeah, I mean, and that makes so much sense too, and that's why I always liked Miller's original Batman Year One because, I mean, Barbara Gordon isn't going to go from being told she's too short to be in the FBI to being welcomed in the Bat family in two and a half weeks. It takes longer to, to brew beer or make wine than I mean I, I just. What about Scotch, Ed? I, I, Scotch takes five years. It only took one year. So, um, 
But no, I just I think that it's cool that it takes place over a year. I mean, if, I, I think it makes more sense because you can view it as a real story. And you, it would be unbelievable if in, in, a, in a time frame to say that it happened in two weeks. So. And I know in the new uber compressed new 52 time frame that this whole thing probably happened in like two and a half days. But um, it didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen at all. Yeah. But I mean, I just this is why you need more time because good stories take time. Look at, look at the long Halloween. It took a year too. It was good. Okay, uh, I guess I'll go first. Um, <laughs> if you listen to Batgirl special, you know that Barbara Gordon is not my favorite Batgirl. Um, you know, I like Stephanie and Cassandra in the role better, and um, I like Barbara as Oracle better. No, I, I, I really like Barbara's character, but as Batgirl, she doesn't she doesn't do it as, as much as the other two do do for me. But this is just such a fun story that like it kind of makes me forget all that. And it's interesting because a lot of it is her learning. It's not exactly her established as Batgirl, but by the end of the story, she really comes into her own, and it's just really fun to read. And it's just one of those stories that, like, if you're a fan of, you know, like comics, DC, Marvel, like like, like Batman, whatever, just read this. I, I would I would definitely recommend it. Five out of five Batarangs. I can't fathom anybody who's ever read this story and didn't like it. Wouldn't make any sense. I mean, um... I don't get it. I mean, if, if you don't like this story and you don't find some joy in it, then go do something else. Quit reading comic books because they're not for you. Uh, I mean, this is a great story. It's five out of five. It's as good as they get, period. It's a six out of five, people. Whoa! That's okay. what I'm saying. She just wants to disagree more. <laughs> yeah. Basically. We're does. over. It's too much. It's too much. Um, No, <laughs> I, I definitely give it a five out of five. I think that, again, I'm going to say that I think this is the best origin story out there. This will really cement anyone's love for this particular character. If you're a new, any new reader will ask me, what do you recommend? <laughs> and in my sage wisdom, I usually say Batgirl Year One or the Stephanie Brown uh, version, which really, if you think about it, this would be a wonderful, uh, a wonderful, uh, what are those things called? Articles. There we go. Uh, to to compare the journey between the two because it's actually very similar. You know, they both mess up and then mm-hmm. they both grow along their way and they meet friends and enemies and it all turns out okay in the end. But it is just something that will brighten your day and and I think this is this is the reason why you know I love love me some Babs Gordon. Well, if we had to do a composite ranking, that would give this five out of five batterings. For true. once, we all agree on something. Um, which is pretty amazing. (laughs) Considering the last 10 minutes. Considering the, and, but that's good in a way, if you think about it, we all disagreed about certain parts of the story, but we all still loved it. Right. I mean, yes. And that's, that's the good thing about a story when, when three people can read it in depthly and all three different get, get different things from it, but all still really, really like it. It works on a bunch of different levels. Um, Wasn't there so. something in the drinking game that if all people gave five out of fives, like you were supposed to do something? I think you're supposed to finish the whole bottle. Oh, okay. Uh, which would might kill some more. It may, especially Look. if you're drinking some scotch. Yeah, and you're so, drinking alone. You're drinking scotch we, we alone. Have, we have too many bottle. listeners. Just, just, just go ahead and drink it. <laughs> just go <laughs> kill yourselves. We're not interested. Um, so, um, where was I? Okay, um, so... I wanted to thank both Donovan and Stella for coming on and doing this uh, this this issue, and especially Stella because you know she really is the the bat the, the most <laughs> most more about Batgirl than anyone I know, and I would have felt cartoonish asking her questions. Uh, so I'm really glad that that she stepped up and volunteered to do this for me. Well, thank you. Thanks it. for the opportunity. 
No, and and I and I it, it's uh, it's one of those things where we've all got a story. I think that it's and there's certain listeners that want to hear certain people talk about certain things. And I think anytime we talk about Batgirl, they want to hear Stella on it. So I'm I'm really glad that she could join us oh, for this. I appreciate that. No problem. So um, please go over to the website and check out all the different articles and things that we offer. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and join our Facebook discussion group if you haven't had the chance to do so already. And get the chance to talk to us and some other Bat fans over there. Um, The next TBU collected is going to be listener's choice. So I'm going to be asking people to kind of put down below what – what they're interested in. I've got a couple of stories that I would like to do a review on at some point. And uh, if you guys would be open to it at some point, I would like to do a story called Batman Ego. Um, oh, dude. I, I think that's my that, favorite story. So I think Donovan would be interested in doing that, apparently. Oh, my God. That was amazing. <laughs> uh, it's Well, it's one that's not talked about a whole lot. And I think it's it would be more than, than good to do an, do an episode on Batman let's, Ego. Let's do it right now. You're not doing anything tomorrow, are you still? I have an 8 a.m. run. I'm training for a 10-miler. I can't do it right now. So you would do Ego then, Donovan, right, if we did that? You'd Hell be okay yeah. With that? Absolutely. Okay. You're doing it um, right now. We're not oh, doing yes. it right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Batman Ego, written and illustrated by Darren Cook. Uh, but, no, so, again, thanks, everyone, for joining us. And uh, this is Ed saying goodbye. This is Donovan. And this is the one who regrets Donovan's friendship, Stella. (laughs) Scream like Dragon Ball Z. (laughs) They're they're doing some Robotech stuff now, probably. I don't get what they're doing, so...
my soapbox? I don't know. I'm going to go off, I guess. Uh, my next question, you know, I guess we're just going to be pulling it a lot. Is it going to be bad if, if we just uh, compare a lot to New 52? Is that something you don't Hell want to no. add? Well, no, I think that, I mean, if you're listening to this, my hope would be that you would, we would make an impression that Batgirl hasn't always sucked. Yeah. Yeah, we're not trying to, like, necessarily uh, tear down the New 52 Batgirl, although we will. Okay. We're trying to tell you why uh, we enjoy the character and why we enjoy the story because of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, if anything, if you read this book, it shows you why the characterization in New 52 is so off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And whenever I talk to Josh, he's like, mm, it's too much. It's too much. That's what Josh says. <laughs> he does, really. <laughs> he's going to love that impression. Actually, Josh and I were enemies. We talked like twice. I didn't do it. I didn't do anything against you. Oh, anyways. Um, uh, but yeah, is, so. That's how love is born. <laughs> So, anyways, that's a true story. Too much. I'm not. I'm not saying something has it. It's, it's just I. I want to get all my thoughts out, and not jumble it, because I think this is a fun thing to talk about. Actually, well, I'm, I'm not actually sure how much we talk about Dick and Babs as a couple in the and on this know. website. Yeah, we're not really giving a lot of. That's because uh, when Dustin's around, he doesn't want it. Yeah, Dustin hates everything that's happy and fun. If you listen to the Robot Chicken commentary, he doesn't like humor. But, um... What if only what? If only they had sex. But we can probably leave that to no, them. No, the are you joking? No, that would be terrible. No. Oh, my God. That that's that would be too happy. I said maybe, they could keep their co- maybe they could keep their costumes on. Uh. Yeah, that would be rough. Uh, I think that happens in Nightwing Annual Number 2. I bet you it does. I bet you good money it does. Multiple uh, times. I don't I don't mind You're that. You're a terrible like, friend. <laughs> why is it that every time we record with each other, we always like betray each other? <laughs> I don't know why. But That's what I don't, that does to you. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, 